Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 40% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. Hello and welcome to the Arsenal Women Arsecast, the first Arsenal Women Arsecast of 2022. And I'm aware that I quite often say with these episodes that this is a special one. And um, to be honest, they are all quite special, so I'm okay with that. Um, but I think this one's quite a special one. <laughs> um, it's It's been quite a week, hasn't it, um, with the defeat at Birmingham last Sunday, which... You know, I don't want to dwell on on it too much because most of this podcast is quite upbeat um, and refers to good news in the main. But I think that Birmingham game might have been the worst I've ever seen Arsenal women play um, in a few decades of watching them. I'm racking my brains for a worse performance. Um, So obviously we had that and that was quite unexpected, I think. However, the week has brightened up with two really significant pieces of news the first that dropped on Wednesday that Leah Williamson has signed a new contract with the club which is just absolutely fantastic news I'm sure everyone will agree and I I think the thing about Leah signing a contract as well I said on Twitter that I found this to be um, the most important maybe contract renewal that Arsenal have to do at the moment now everyone knows that Vivian Miedema is a world class player and is in the conversation for the best player in the world so no you know nobody needs to really explain how important that Viv is to Arsenal and with her contract expiring at the end of the season and um, I think our understanding of that is that that's all still undecided she hasn't decided yet whether she'll extend with Arsenal or go elsewhere I, I think the thing is with that there are more goal scorers in women's football at the moment in elite women's football than there are world-class defenders that's the way I look at it and I think Leah as a defender would actually be harder to replace than Viv um, which you know which again is not to downplay Viv's level of talent at all Um, I just think that there are there's potential for goals on the market but there just aren't as many defenders so you know and look we've seen how results have been since Leah Williamson came out of the team with injury so I think there's that aspect to it the footballing aspect but also I think for the club's um, image, I guess, for want of a better word, um, you know, it was it was quite concerning that Leah last season um, was umming and ahhing about whether to extend her contract. And when she did, she only extended for 12 months because she wanted some assurances about standards being raised behind the scenes. And so there was that big question mark. And, and I think from Arsenal's point of view, if they if they lost 25 year old Leah Williamson, um, you know, a player who's grown up at this club and, and supports the club and everything else, that that would be that would be really concerning if she wasn't convinced by the level of the club's ambition. The fact that she has signed and that she is at this moment in time convinced by, you know, the club's project for the next few years is, is really, really enthusing beyond for beyond reasons of just keeping Leah Williamson. I think there's a lot to it as well about, um, you know, about the club's level of ambition and what they have planned um so that's that's one bit of good news that uh, amazing news actually that dropped this week the second bit is obviously the signing of uh, swedish forward stinner black stinius which was announced on friday afternoon and put everyone out of their misery um this is this is um a signing that's been mooted for a few days now it feels like more than that um, we asked Blog News, we asked Jonas Eideval about this last Friday in his pre-Birmingham press conference. Um, and obviously he was coy on the name, but we had wind of the fact that Arsenal was seriously interested in Stinner Black Stinius. It looked for all the world like she was going to go to Manchester United. Um, but Arsenal kind of came in and, and they've made that deal happen. And really top class, 25-year-old striker, 
been doing really, really big things in Sweden and for the Swedish national team. And for those of you who perhaps aren't as familiar with women's football, the Swedish league is is a very big and serious league and has been historically. It's probably moved into slightly more of a development league now, um, maybe a bit like France in, in men's football. I, I think that's a fair comparison. Um, there are real kind of developer of of talent and i think there was a report released this week by fifa about um transfer fees paid in the women's game in the last year and a lot of the most expensive players are exported from sweden and the swedish national team remains a superpower um silver medalists at the most recent olympics at the two most recent olympics actually and um you know they they will be a good bet for the euros next summer as well so swedish you know, Swedish women's football is, is a bit of a superpower. And so for Blackstinius to come at this point in her career to Arsenal, I think that's, you know, that that's a really, really big signing. I did speak to Jonas Eideval on Friday afternoon and asked him whether the uh, the signing of Blackstinius was linked to the future of Vivian Miedema. He said it wasn't. He said he could see a world where he could play both of them in the same team, perhaps with Miedema in a slightly deeper role. Um, but he also said that Blackstinius just brings slightly different qualities to the centre forward role, particularly her ability to run in behind um, as well. So, uh, you know, he's he's got another option there up front at the moment. He also said that if Vivian Miedema does decide to leave this summer, he'll buy another forward. Um, so Blackstinius either way is not the replacement. So that's, you know, that's, that's quite good, I think. Um, so th- those are the two massive bits of news that have dropped this week. So obviously this podcast will focus on both of those. In part one, we will speak to Leah Williamson herself, an exclusive interview uh, for this podcast. No one else has it. No one else was sitting in on it. It was uh, just us and Leah talking about her contract extension and a few other things like her legacy at Arsenal um, and her recent injury um, as well. And we're massively, massively grateful to Leah for her time. It's been a busy week for her. She's back in full training. Obviously, she's had the, the new contract stuff come out. So for her to take kind of 20, 30 minutes out of her Friday afternoon to speak to us, we are incredibly grateful to Leah for doing that. But I think we're even more grateful to Leah for signing the contract. So that will be part one, um, our interview with Leah Williamson. And then in part two, I'm going to speak to Swedish journalist Mia Eriksson. You may remember we had Mia on the show over the summer when Jonas Eideval was first appointed. Now, Mia, obviously, being Swedish, uh, follows Swedish women's football um, a lot. Um, She's a a football analyst as well as a journalist and a podcaster. So someone who's seen Stina Blackstinius' career up close over over a number of years. So I have a chat with Mia about Blackstinius, about her career to date, about whether whether this is the right move for her about whether she'll fit in or sorry how she'll fit in tactically with Arsenal so I have a good kind of 20 minute chat with Mia in the second half but for now I will stop withering on because I'm sure most of you have tuned in um, to listen to both Mia and Leah Um, I haven't just realized that rhymes that's nice Um, but first with no further ado my interview with Leah Williamson on Friday afternoon Okay, joining us now on the show, someone who probably needs no introduction, but I'll introduce her anyway. Someone you might have heard of, Arsenal defender Leah Williamson. Leah, welcome to the show. Thanks for joining us. No, thanks for having me on, as always. Uh, You you know, you you were the first ever guest on this podcast, on the first episode of this podcast. So, you know, one of your career highlights, I'm sure. (laughs) Exactly that. Top of the list. Um, So... Obviously, we've got you on because you signed a new contract this week, which made everyone very happy. Um, You know, when I spoke to you in May, when you signed the one-year extension, you know, you were quite open about the fact that you were looking for reassurances about the club's ambitions. I mean, having signed this deal, is it fair to say that you were reassured by the club's ambitions in order to commit again? Yes, I think um, if you compare the place that we were in sort of this time last year, uh, it was very different. And, you know, I, I sort of made that clear. It was, a, it was a hard decision to to decide to stay. You know, I had to think about how far I wanted to go and if that was the place for me to be. But I think that the work we've done internally um, has set the precedent for how we want to go on. Um, and just sort of having that realisation, sometimes you do just need a, a bit of a wake-up call in terms of 
how do we keep progressing? You know, it's not win the league and then drop off. It's a, it's a consistent um, sort of journey, especially in women's football. You know how it goes. Everybody's growing all the time. So you, you can't afford to stop. And I think that they're, what I heard from the club, um, what I've seen and, and the plans going forward are on, on their way to that. Um, I'd be lying if I said we were the finished product. You know, we're not. But I think this contract me signing my deal was the easiest decision I had just because like I've said, you know, I'm, I'm part of this club. It's not like pointing the fingers and saying, well, you guys need to do this and, and sitting back and watching it's, it's just as much my commitment to that as well. So um, yeah, that's, that's the reason I've signed. And can you talk me through a little bit, I guess the timeline of, of the talks and the contract and, and everything, like when did the talks start and at what point did you start to think, uh, okay, yeah, I think I really want to commit again. Um, the talks, you know, Arsenal were sort of in constant contact, I suppose, you know, the nature of the one year deal last year is, is not really something we see in football. And, um, I suppose they had to trust in me as well, you know, as a, um, as a business, you wouldn't necessarily want to, to do it like that. Um, but I think having been here for so long and, and them knowing the type of person that I am, it was just about staying in contact and seeing how things moved along and obviously we had a great start to the season which helped but it's not the the basis of the reason that I'm signing um but yeah I think after working with Jonas for for a couple of months I had a good feeling and then as we got nearer to Christmas it was um yeah a lot clearer to me let's say that this is still exactly where I want to be and where I think I can still continue to develop while also playing for the club that I love. And, um, you know, you've, you've said um, before about how you think the beginning of this season is possibly some of the best football you've ever played. And I think a lot of supporters agree with that. And something that's really struck me, um, giving away my age a little bit here, but I've watched a lot of Arsenal players come through and make that transition. Like I remember when Emma Byrne was like 19 and when Kim Little was 17 and Jen Beattie and Kelly. I even remember when Kelly Smith was 18 and like watching these players kind of go from young prospect to like leader of this team, Alex Scott as well. And, and I really sense that transition in you as well. Do you, do you feel that as well? Yeah, I think uh, the nature of my position is obviously, you know, where I've been playing at the back and as a centre back, it's a, it's a real, um, I don't know, like an anchor position, isn't it? You know, it's, it's, we start a lot of the attacks and we prevent a lot of um, the goal scoring opportunities, obviously. So I think that I've said this word before, but the being reliable in that, I think that's really what has changed. And maybe it does come with the maturity and, and just sort of, you know, experience. So somebody always said that to me that the best trait a centre-back can have is experience and you can't rush that. You can't force that. It just happens as it happens. And I think um, this year, I think all of those sort of things have come together nicely and I do feel a lot more, um, I don't know what the word is, but maybe just ready for that, you know, ready for that sort of extra pressure that comes with having to be on top of your game week in, week out. And, and I was obviously able to deliver that up until my injury, which is, is what pleased me the most, that it was a consistent um, thing. And it wasn't just, you know, when you're a young kid, you have good games and then you'll have a, an absolute horror. So, yeah, I was happy not to have any of those this year. And another thing you said um, kind of when you signed the contract last time was um, that you felt you had this reputation for being a ball-playing defender, but that you wanted to be known like as a defender as well. Yeah. Do, you, do you feel like you're getting towards that with the way you've been playing this season? Yeah, I think so. Um, I think that the way, another reason, you know, staying in this country, the WSL is such a competitive league. You know, you come up against lots of different types of forwards and, um, teams that have different threats and obviously that's been tested um, like I say before my injury and I think that I've always known that I was an athletic defender and I had the sort of the pace and um, yeah that ability to sort of match a striker in that area but actually being you know strong and and sort of that that mentality shift to being um, brutal almost and ruthless in that area I think that's what I've added to my game now. And, um, you know, you referenced your injury um, and I don't want to kind of dance around it. Um, you know, I, I recall you kind of hobbling in the last kind of couple of minutes of that Spurs game. 
um, and hobbling off the pitch as well afterwards. But were you, can you talk me through that injury? Were you surprised by the extent of it when the scan came, when you felt the pain? Did you expect it to be this bad an injury? What was, what was kind of the deal with this particular, this particular injury? Yeah, um, I have am quite um, well known amongst my teammates and, and family a very, very low pain threshold. <laughs> so it was um, much to my su- surprise as everybody else's when it, the results come back as bad as um, the tear was. I was in quite a lot of pain for quite a lot of the game um, all the way through, really. So it was, um, yeah, something that I needed to learn, obviously, about my own body. And I don't know, you know, you're playing in a derby, a North London derby we're not, you know, the game wasn't going the way that we wanted to and I didn't want to leave the pitch. Um, but naturally, it's all learnings from from my side in terms of the amount of um, damage that was done, but also that I had no idea. It just wasn't, you know, it wasn't as painful as it as it turned out to, to be results-wise. Um, but I've obviously presented quite well throughout it. So it's, it's not been... Um, I don't know. It's, you know, it's been a series of good news. I think since since the injury um, after the initial diagnosis. And um, you know, talking about some of the stuff that Arsenal have done behind the scenes, one of the things they've done is to add Gary Lewin. Um, and obviously, I guess unfortunately, but you've had a lot of cause to work with him in recent weeks. How much of a you know how much of a positive addition has he been, and what's it been like working with him through this injury? Yeah, um, obviously I've worked with Gary before when he was here previously um, for a short while. And, you know, it's funny because Gary's, if you're an Arsenal fan, Gary's a club legend. So I always look at him like that. Um, and yeah, he's, he's just his, his knowledge and, and his experience is sort of second to none. And you wouldn't find many around that have what he has in that area. Um, and he's just, you know, the the guidance that I suppose he gives to to us and and you know, the rest of the staff and just that sort of, um, Gary's a guy that when he says something, you believe it, whether or not he's telling the truth or not. So um, to have that that around is is definitely a good thing for us. And um, yeah, well, I mean, I've obviously been using it a lot um, recently, but yeah, he's, he's a guy that sort of just makes you feel at ease and, and like he knows what he's talking about, which is always uh, positive to have around. And um, in, in terms of the injury itself, I mean, no injury ever comes at a good time. But um, I, I'll tell you something. There, there was a photo of you, I think, during the Brighton game, maybe, where you're on the ball smiling. And um, and I know you tweeted a picture of it. And a friend of mine messaged me and said, this is the jinxiest picture I've ever seen in my <laughs> life. <laughs> uh, which unfortunately came true. But yeah. like in terms of the timing of the injury, particularly with how you were playing with games at Wembley and the Emirates coming up, d- did it feel like the worst possible time, maybe? Yeah, it's a, it's a funny one because naturally missing Wembley was was so hard. Um, even the game against Barcelona at the Emirates, you know, these are take the um, I suppose the meaning of the game away. Like take the result, the need for a result out of it. These are games that you, especially somebody like me, who's, who's just constantly trying to raise my own level. These are the games that I need to play in because they're the ones that make you better. Um, so that was gutting. Um, then sort of. I was a bit worried about how I'd be during the rehab. You know, I've not been injured since the first couple of years at Arsenal in terms of this long. And then I really struggled because I just felt like I was a young kid that was going to fall off, fall off the face of the earth and everyone would forget, I, you know, I existed. And I felt like a little bit of perspective was necessary this time in terms of I haven't stopped for a, for a long while in terms of the football calendar. And I've sort of made this jump from not really playing international breaks to playing every one I go away and, you know, going to a tournament in the summer and my body needs to adjust to that as well. And also, you know, like I say, football is my life and I, I give everything to Arsenal and, and England um, when I'm selected to play. But I'm very much a believer of things happen for a reason and to take the positives and, and football aside, without you know, without missing those games, I had the Christmas break, which is a, a break in fixtures, which doesn't happen. We've had four weeks without a fixture over this time, so I haven't missed so much there, I suppose. And also, it's just an opportunity to to sort of step away and, and refocus. And I'm really glad because I feel, especially with the contract signing, I just feel very at peace with with where I'm at, and um, I'm actually really confident to go back into football, which is a nice thing. Because obviously when you get injured, you, you sort of don't know how you're going to return. And, and we still don't know, but it's been a nice sort of refocus for me and to sort of appreciate how 
good things were going before I got injured and, and just trying to reach that again. You know, I had a taste for it and now I want more. Yeah, that, that was going to be my next question, actually, because I've spoken to players before about how they deal with injuries and some just say, I want to disconnect, go away, refresh. And some say, I want to, like, I want to sit, I want to watch the games, I want to watch the team without me in it, so I understand my place in it better. Which one of those, um, or, or how would you say you've used this this time uh, that you've been out? So I think, naturally, um, and especially with the type of injury that I had, it's not like, a, you know, you're off feet for, for so long. Um, it wasn't that long before I was back doing stuff. So I was constantly working and I was constantly in and around the girls, but I was definitely, you know, I needed to sort of, um, it's hard, you know, you sit in a team meeting and then you have no effect on it. Uh, it's not that you don't want to know the information. It's not that you don't want to be involved, but the game comes at the weekend and you're, you're not involved and you can't be involved. Um, but just sort of maybe, I think I used it as reflection time. So like you said, how do I fit into this team? What is my purpose? Um, how can I help when I come back kind of thing? Um, so that was that was definitely a learning for me and, and being, because normally, like when I was younger, I did, I just disconnected and then you take the time that you're almost gifted. I know it doesn't sound like, it doesn't feel like that when you're injured, but you are, you're given this time that you would never normally have. Um, but naturally, I'm so close to my family and um, spending time with them that I would never have got. You know, I went away with my mum and my grandma and that to me is as precious as anything. Um so yeah, I think I've, I'm quite proud of how I've dealt with it, if I'm totally honest, and then and staying balanced and not disconnecting too much. Um, but there was definitely a time where, you know, as we get closer to coming back, I, I knew I needed to be back in those meetings and, and really around the team and um, yeah, just being a bit more present. So yeah, definitely a balance of the two. And just um, a, a couple of questions to wrap up. Um, this is going out on Saturday, so the announcement will have been made and the second half of this podcast is about Stinner Black Stinius. Yeah. Um, so I, I just wonder, I just wanted to get your take on that signing. I can't remember whether you've played against her before, um, but just your, your take on, on that signing for Arsenal. Yeah, I think um, I've never played for a club level and I'm not actually sure senior um, internationally. I don't think I've played against Sweden, but when we were younger... Um, she was the striker of the age group. You know, you've got players like her and, and Viv and you'd come up against these these um these teams when you were younger and I'd think we're in for a we're in for a hard one today kind of thing. So I've always had a lot of respect for her and obviously what she's done on the international stage, especially over the summer, is is really impressive. So yeah, I'm I'm really pleased with it. She's got a, a great work ethic. Um and I think that's what what we need here just to keep us pushing and and keep everything competitive. So, um, yeah, I've obviously welcomed her into training today and it's great, great to have on board. And um, a, a question that's like slightly out of kilter, but I've had a personal curiosity about Katie McCabe's goal at Villa Park, uh, the big lob, um, yeah. the celebration after that. Um, I, I have to admit, the second I kind of saw it from the sideline, I was like, ah, Bergkamp. <laughs> against Sunderland were, were you aware of that at the time or is that because I know that goal was scored technically well before you were born yeah uh, yeah but like did you were you aware of that at the time oh my brother used to watch DVD after DVD uh when he was an Arsenal fan of like Arsenal through the years and and you'd see all the celebrations and obviously I used to love Burkham used to watch YouTube clips of him I think he's the only player I've ever done that with actually um so I knew it was his celebration I can't say it was exactly in my mind. Um, we could maybe say subconsciously, but as soon as I did it, that's as I was running back, I was thinking that that was what it was. Um, but yeah, more more shocked to be fair. I can't I can't give her too much credit that I thought it was that amazing. I was uh, yeah, I was in in shock. But yeah, as soon as I was running back to to restart, I was thinking, uh, and then I seen my Twitter blow up afterwards, and I thought, <laughs> yeah, everybody's on the same page. And, uh, and I guess, um, like, just a final question, um, and I don't really know how to phrase this, but, like, obviously there's a lot of talk about, like, your Arsenal connection and everyone knows now that you grew up as an Arsenal fan, that you've been at this club and how much it means to you and everything like that. But I wonder whether, like, I get curious about this sometimes, I wonder whether in your mind, um, like, again, I don't really know how to phrase this, but, like, Kelly Smith, for example, same deal for her, grew up as an Arsenal fan, kind of came through and, and everything like that. But when people think of Kelly Smith, when Arsenal fans think of Kelly Smith, they probably think of that a bit. But when everyone thinks of Kelly Smith, it's like Kelly Smith, the footballer, 
legend. It's almost like Arsenal's like a separate thing. And I wonder if um, if you ever think about this in your kind of legacy, is there a part of you that thinks, like, I have the Arsenal thing and I like that and I love that connection, but actually I really want to be known as a player in my own right now. Is, is there anything in your mind about, I guess, uncoupling those things a little bit? Yeah, I have thought about this before um, because naturally, you know, like you say, there's certain players that you think of, you think of like a Steven Gerrard or, and you, and you, he was so good that his, his football and ability spoke for itself. And then you make the Liverpool connection and, and you know what he was. And I don't think I'd ever want to separate the two just because I'm so proud to, to be at Arsenal. Um, I think sometimes I'm conscious that I, I really connect emotionally too much. Um, and I, and I don't think I do, but I do just have to check myself because I'm there to play football and it's it's not about romanticising it um, to the extent of which it is. But then I think if I'm authentic to myself, that's how I feel. And every time I go out, that is what I think about and that is who I want to be. I, I, I'm less bothered about, you know, when I step on the pitch for Arsenal, I'm less bothered about what I come across cross as as an individual but more about what I'm doing for the team so I'd never want to uncouple it but I do think that if you're good enough then people will think that regardless um, and that's up to me to sort of prove to everybody and I have my opportunities at England to to be Leah um, not the Arsenal player and I think I would never sacrifice yet yeah, the the connection that I have with Arsenal and if people want to think of me as as part of Arsenal instead of myself then I'm comfortable with that as long as I'm doing my job for the team um, but yeah obviously I would I would I wouldn't like to finish my career and just be somebody that loved the club a lot and, and everybody likes for that reason I'd like to be known as a yeah world class footballer that actually stands on our own two feet I suppose yeah yeah well on the way I would say Leah yeah. um We've taken enough of your time already. Thanks so much for joining us. And thanks even more for signing the contract. And just, um, you'll have seen it, I'm sure, on social media, how happy that made everyone. So uh, thank you for your time um, and for the signature as well, frankly. <laughs> thank you very much. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number smart beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 40% on the Sleep Number limited edition smart bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Big thanks to Leah again for her time um, and for her insights. And, you know, absolutely shamelessly, my favorite interviewee, um, I think, at Arsenal, as well as, you know, possibly my favorite player as well. Um, really, really indebted to Leah for giving up her time for us um, and particularly at quite short notice because I didn't know that news was going to drop. I was I was prepared for the Black Stinius announcement. I wasn't prepared for the Leah Williamson announcement. So it was cobbled together quite late on. And again, that is because Leah was willing to do that at short notice. So hugely, hugely grateful to her and to Daniel Lane at Arsenal um, for helping to make that happen. So now... 
that's that's the contract extension. How about the new signing, Stinner Blackstinius? As I said at the top of the show, I'm speaking to Mia Eriksson, who knows all there is to know about Swedish women's football, not just Swedish women's football either, um, a real expert across the sport, but obviously being Swedish, Sweden is a speciality of hers, and honestly nobody better to speak to um, about Stinner, and, and not least because Mia herself you know, isn't an Arsenal fan, so I think it's really good to have that that fairly neutral perspective as well. So this is my chat with Mia Eriksson about Stinner Blackstinius. So joining me now on the podcast to discuss the signing of Stinner Blackstinius is uh, Mia Eriksson from TV4 and I'm going to butcher the pronunciation of this, the Fusbolkanalen podcast in Sweden, which is debuting on Tuesday the 18th of January. And one of their upcoming guests is going to be Arsenal's Freedom Arnhem. But um, I thought I'd get Mia on just to discuss uh, everything about Stinner Blackstinius, really. So Mia, thanks very much for joining us and welcome back to the show. Yeah, thank you. I'm I'm happy to provide to provide <laughs> you with some knowledge about the Scandinavian players. Because yeah, you, it, have, you have got the deal about yeah. talent from here. It's it's really weird on this podcast. We end up with like somehow with like correspondence. So we had like you know we kept signing Australian players. So I kept getting Sam Lewis back on the podcast to talk about Australian players, and uh, you you might become our kind of default Scandinavian correspondent. So. Um, you know, we 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 might have you back. <laughs> I'll be um, happy to. <laughs> but let's let let's talk Stinner um, because this is uh, this is a big signing for Arsenal. First of all, um, what can you tell us about her as a player? Um, what are what are her attributes and and where does she play? Yeah, I mean, I've seen Stina Black Stinner play. Uh, I mean, for many years now because I I. As you all know by now, I'm a Lin Xiaoping fan uh, and I'm involved with that club in many ways as well. But, I mean, she's a proper number nine, uh, I think. I mean, obviously, we're talking about the fact that it's good to be flexible and and that you can play uh, across the forward line every position. But I think that that this is her strength. Uh, that she really is um, like very special for the number nine role. Mm. Um, I mean, her deep runs, and I, I also know that if you if you would speak to Peter Jaradson about her uh, as a Swedish head coach, he would say that she is probably one of Sweden's best defenders as well because she's a good. Uh, player when it comes to press hmm. so I think for Arsenal this would be this will be very exciting for the fans to see how she will improve uh, and like even put her influence on the Arsenal's press uh, pressing game yeah, yeah, um, and um, I'm going to come on to that a bit later about what Jonas really wants from a striker um, compared to what he's got at the moment, maybe. But um, just kind of sticking with uh, with Stinner at the moment, um, you know, she's nearly 26 now. I know she had a spell in France with Montpellier, but other than that, she's she's been in Sweden. So, I mean, uh, probably fair to say this is a step up for her in her career now. Um, is she ready for a move like this, in your view? I think if you want some background information i don't know how much arsenal fans will know about her is that when when she played in linköping she played with penilla harder magdalena eriksson jonna andersson fridolina rolfe as well uh, and they all got signed and picked up by bigger clubs uh, to move out in europe after they won the swedish league title back in uh, 2016 uh, and and her move was a bit surprising for all of us that have, had followed that team uh, because she went to Montpellier in France, like you said, and the other ones left for, I mean, we all know Chelsea and Wolfsburg and Bayern Munich. So I think it was a was a surprise move uh, in some way. Uh, and then, I mean, obviously we don't know the background to a choice, but 
it's been a lot of interviews with her after that, uh, saying that she had struggled a bit in her private life because her father was uh, sick uh, during the time, and then and then she didn't really settle uh, into the French football culture with the team and the training, and, and she has been very open about that. So when she returned, she returned to Linköping uh, and they had a really good team that year because it was the World Cup year, uh, 2019. But it didn't work out for Linköping. Uh, I mean, they had Lina Huttig and Mimi Larsson who, uh, and they are also national team players. Mm. Uh, they played in the front line for Linköping. Uh, so then she went to Gothenburg, uh, Göteborg's FC, who now is Beko Hecken. Uh, I think the best part about watching Stina Blackstenius play is she's also very good. I mean, she always has a lot of assists as well. Hmm. She, does, she doesn't just score goals. Um, so I think, I mean, in that it's now or never for her. Yeah. I'm going to say that because that's what that's what the talk is about. It's now or never never for Stina Blackstenius to enter the big European stage uh, and to take the role and responsibility as one of a of a club's most important players. Yeah, and actually that sounds quite similar her career path uh, to Katrine Weyer, a uh, Danish winger we had at Arsenal who also went to Montpellier and and also didn't uh, didn't really fit in there, um, albeit Arsenal wasn't a massive success for her either. Um, hoping things go better for Stina Blackstinius. But um, how, just generally, how is she viewed in Sweden? Because, you know, I, I think we're really seeing starting, well, certainly my impression for the, from the Olympics where she scored five goals and she led the line. And, you know, we know that even if maybe the Swedish league is becoming more of a development, a developer of talent, the Swedish national team is still a superpower. Um, and, you know, and she led them to that final with five goals. So what about, um, you know, her performances for, for Sweden and how she's viewed more widely um, by Swedish fans? I think we rely on her to to score goals when Sweden play big tournaments, uh, and I think we have. Uh, I think we rely on her on that because that's what she has done um, mm. all the time. She have had, I would call them silent periods. You know, like before the the World Cup back in 2019, she had a bit of a like where she disappeared because she didn't score. Uh, I'm, I'm sure it was when she scored versus Canada. It had been a while since she had scored for Sweden, and then, but that goal was so important. You know, she's, I think she's viewed at like that type of player. You know, go silent a little bit, uh, and then when when it's really needed, you score, and then everyone forgets about these silent periods. And um, obviously, it has worked out very good for her after the World Cup in France as well, uh, because like you said, the Olympics, she was the key, one of the key players. Uh, then you have uh, a season like this now from from the summer and, and up to here where we are, then she hasn't been that type of player for Sweden because she was injured a little bit. And then mm. it, we had Lina Hurtig, who who was that player. Uh, I was kind of surprised to see that she didn't play versus Finland or Slo- Slovakia, and but she didn't. Uh, Blackstenius. So then, then Lina Hurtig played, uh, and I think for Sweden, I think this move is good mm. uh, as a national team. I think we we're famous for the fact that we can defend, and uh, but we need to score goals to win games as well. Obviously improved a lot <laughs> lately mm. as well. But I mean, she, she's the player that, that's going to score. If she's on, she's going to score. She'll press off the ball and she's going to score when Sweden wins. So, Yeah, and uh, I think, you know, Lina Hertig, that's, that's good competition. She's doing good things at Juventus at the moment under Joe Montemoro. But... Um, I guess um, you, you touched on this a little bit earlier, but one of the things I've been thinking about this signing with my 
I guess, much more limited knowledge of the player is that I've, I've had this feeling this season that, look, Vivian Miedemer is the type of striker that every manager wants. But in terms of mould and the way Jonas has Arsenal playing and he wants that high press. And to be fair, I think Viv is perfectly capable of that and she does that. But I, I've always had the impression that really, if he could choose, he'd choose more of a target style striker that, you know, Arsenal play a lot more long passes now. And <clears throat> and we know that Viv is, is much more, you know, she's more Dutch, right? She she likes ball on the floor, move into the number 10 role. I've had the feeling for a while that actually what Jonas would like is a more typical number nine. And, and actually he's played Caitlin Ford there quite a lot this season. Um, so I guess... Um, look, this signing will start the rumour mill about Vivian Miedema, but I, I guess, do you think that she would be more suited to, uh, you know, Ida Ball, as, as some Arsenal fans have called it? Or do you think that there is potential for her to play with Vivian Miedema if, if Viv ends up staying? I mean, I was actually thinking about this before we started to record, but I'm going to give you, I mean, in uh, Hecken. Uh, she played with uh, um, Paulina Hammarlund, uh, who is also, she's been HCL injured now. But I mean, Stina Blackstenius is a perfectly capable player to play with another striker. She is. Not sure yeah. if every partner is, you know, like mm -hmm. up front, like you say, because they all prefer different uh, style of plays. But I think this is why she gets so many assists uh, every season as well, because she knows how to play with with a partner. Uh, I think that's one probably one of her also one of her, I mean, biggest abilities. Yeah, I I kind of wonder if um if if she's almost more of an analog for Caitlin Ford because Caitlin Ford at Arsenal. She like with Vivian Miedema here, right? She largely plays wide, but when Viv doesn't play, she can play up front, and she, she does it. She does it a very different way. Um, but like, can can Blackstinius play wide as well? If, for example, Vivian Miedema stays, because if Vivian Miedema stays, she's going to start in the number nine role. So, would there be potential there for Blackstinius perhaps to to almost play that Caitlin Ford role and be a wide player, but almost like a second striker as well? I'm sure she would. But I don't think that's that's her best position. Mm. She never plays wide in in Sweden. I mean, Sweden usually play with three up front. This is where Lina Huttig is like because she is she can play wide. Mm -hmm. But Stina Blackstenius always play the central, you know, number nine role. Uh, I think in Sweden she plays uh, alone up front or with another striker. Um, mm. alongside her so obviously yeah it's going to start a lot of rumors uh, with this signing because I think also you're into it yourself you say Jonas Edebol is <laughs> is the type of of uh, style like Sweden Sweden's national team play I was mm. actually in when I was in Barcelona in, in November Peter Järadsson was there to, to talk about how Sweden played and he showed a lot of clips Hmm. Then he showed a clip with where Sweden were off the ball and would start the press. Uh, and he really focused on the way they use Stina Blackstenius hmm. that way. And she is like, I don't know if you even say this in English, but we call it workhorse in Sweden. Yeah. yeah. Yep. yeah. Uh, so she is Sweden's strongest and most working player in that way because you can see she she has to run a lot and she mm. does it uh, sometimes you can you can if you can look at the game and you see oh but but the only thing she does is running yeah, off yeah. the ball a lot because but i mean when he showed these clips um there in barcelona you could really see her i mean what impact she had on mm. what was happening next. And so I think it's, it's going to suit a coach like Jonas Edeval uh, a lot. Yeah. Yeah. And what's, um, what's quite interesting. I, I think I'm right in saying they've never worked together directly. 
um, in Sweden. Um, and I, I think we know that Manchester United were, were very interested um, in this player. Um, and look, as someone who supports the men and the women's teams, one of the things I love about supporting the women's team is in this world, Manchester United can be on the verge of signing a player and Arsenal can come along and say, no, we'll take her actually, um, which is quite nice. But I mean, in terms of like if she'd gone to Manchester United, I mean, I think she would have been the main attacker there without doubt. Whereas at Arsenal, I mean, I'm, I'm sure she'd play like the number nine position, but there are lots of other attacking players there. Um, how, how, like, how do you see... Th- those two profiles for her. Let's say in an alternate universe, she'd gone to Manchester United and been the bona fide star player compared to maybe coming to Arsenal where still a, a really, really strong, really good player, probably the best like number nine that's actually available on the market at the moment. Um, but perhaps having players like Nikita Paris, maybe Tobin Heath around her, like, do you have a sense of which, uh, which of those moves would be more suitable for her? I think it's always so hard to talk about this kind of stuff. But but if I'm just going to step out from my, you know, thinking about feelings for another person, when I saw the rumors about Manchester United, I was thinking, oh, this is perfect. Mm. Because in Manchester, I think she will have more pressure on her to deliver in Arsenal than she would have had in Manchester United. Not to downplay Manchester United's ambitions, but you know they are, I mean, trying to get up there. Mm. Arsenal is up there already. So I think, and then you have this background story with her, with where she didn't manage to to get it going in Montpellier, even though she scored. But I mean, a football mm. player has to feel good with the surroundings and and the teammates and everything like that. So I think the pressure is really on her now. Um, so, but I mean, I actually looked at the way Manchester United played before Christmas. That would have been perfect for her. Mm. I mean, just put her in. She would be the starter in every game because... I mean, Russo in, in Manchester United, she, she's still learning that number nine role. But mm. here, you have, here you have a player who's, I mean, ready and done to just walk on in the pitch and, and play like that. So I think that will be the difference, difference here. And I think it's going to be very interesting to see how she deals with this. Yeah, yeah. Particularly if Vivian Miedema does go... Um, and she ends up being the replacement. Although I, I think bringing her in now is potentially quite a smart move in that respect, because if Viv does go in the summer, it remove, perhaps removes a layer of that. Viv's gone and she's in, like she's already had a little bit of time to settle. Yeah. Um, although I, I think probably it's more likely that the signing's happening now just because of the way the Swedish season is and it's close season. So I think that's more likely, but it, it might have a fringe benefit there. I mean, in terms of what she did uh, with Hacken last season, she led the Swedish league in goals and assists, which kind of proves your point about she can assist as well. Um, and, you know, like we all know that historically Sweden has been and still is a really strong league, um, probably still a develop, probably like more of a developer um, of talent now for, for the likes of for England, Germany, Spain um, and those leagues. But how do you think, um, you know, you watch a lot of WSL as well. How do you think those numbers will translate in terms of making the transition from Sweden to England? Do you think, do you think it's a jump at all? And if so, how big a jump? Yeah, I think it's a jump because now when this is really interesting because the one thing that every fan wants to know when a player moves uh, to another country to play football is what's the difference? So mm. when when we interview players on our podcasts now, we always speak about this and they all, they all say, yeah, it's a difference. And the difference is that the, the WSL is more physical. It's, it's more speedy, more di- direct football. Uh, I think this is where you, it's interesting as well, because looking at Jonas Edeval and FC Rosengård, how they played, they played very, not very English. I'm not going to say that because you, you can't compare it like that, but, but still, 
I mean, direct football and, and you want to play. You want to play football, I mean, with mm. the ball. Um, in Sweden, I mean, it, it, it's slower. The pace is slower and it's been more physical over the years. I've seen it because I've asked uh, some defenders in Sweden, like, you really wrestle out there more than you did a couple of years ago. So I think it's, I mean, that's also one thing. I mean, Stina Blackstein is, she is, I mean, she's well-trained. She, she's, she's not, she's not thin, you know, like small. And, and I think that will, that will bring, that would bring good uh, into the English game for her. Uh, so, so I think that's yeah, it's a difference, and you have to, you have to be honest with that. That you mm. can't say. But I think that being a national team player, uh, playing like Stina Blackstenius has done over the years, I think the difference will not be that big for mm-hmm. her. It's yeah. more, it's more of a, it's more of a thing that will this type of football suit her. Yeah, yeah. I I have to say, I I think the pro, her pro from what I can gather, her profile and what Jonas Heidevall wants to do with Arsenal do sound like a a, a good match to me. Um, now you now people will remember that you were last on the podcast over the summer, just after Arsenal announced the appointment of Jonas Heidevall, and you gave us a lot of great insight. And and I remember one of the things you kind of said, which is really really borne out, is um watch Jonas on the touchline. <laughs> it's great entertainment. And, uh, but perhaps not, you know, not amazingly Swedish um, in that way. But um, I, I think, you know, six months here, Arsenal fans have gotten to know his personality, the fact that he's quite direct. Personally, I've got a lot of time for the way he deals with press conferences and he's very direct in some of his answers. Um, I've heard the words, I don't care, come out of his mouth many, many times. He doesn't mince his words. Um, so given like what you know about Stinner and what you, you know about Jonas, what about in terms of a personality fit? Because we know that Jonas is this kind of quite larger than life, quite direct kind of character. How do you see, uh, given they've never worked together before, that the, the Stinner and Jonas personalities working together? Yeah, first of all, if she signs for Arsenal, she will know all this about you and yep. about because she has also yep. been playing in the Donald Svenskan a lot. So we, we all heard him yep. shouting and, and we know how, yeah, how he looks like when he's very passionate about something or angry, you know, yep. <laughs> but uh, yeah, that, that's a bit tricky because Stina Blackstenius is known to be a bit uh, laid back. Mm-hmm. I'm not going to say shy because I don't know that, but you you would probably, I mean, get the impression of the fact that she's quite shy. Mm-hmm. So yeah, this is it's going to be interesting to see. But I mean, we all have if if you have been around the game in the Damalsvenskan, uh, or if you've been a player, uh, you know what you get from uh, Jonas Edeval. Yeah, yeah. And and I think it's important as well, you know, to, to kind of emphasise he doesn't just rant and rave and no. Arsenal have <laughs> Arsenal have plenty of players that are like that are quite laid back and I've spoken to Frieda and Frieda's very uh, you know, very taciturn and, and there's obviously not a problem there or anything like that. So I don't wanna like give the impression that he's just a madman that shouts at everyone no. all the time. Like <laughs> I think he is quite affable um, as well, yeah. um, and I can He's say happy that sometimes as well. So, yeah. Yeah. And he shows his happiness as much as he shows. He shows every feeling he has. He's like uh, very un-Swedish that way yeah. because uh, usually we are like, okay, we keep our feelings like in check, <laughs> yeah. even if yeah. we, we feel something. But I mean, you have to admit it's kind of uh, it's nice to see. Uh, yeah. Yeah, maybe sometimes you need it, but I do think that if you're a player on the Jonas Edeval, you learn to just shut your ears maybe sometimes yeah. when you play, and then you learn to open them when he says something you really need to hear. Yeah, 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 yeah. So that's yeah. my impression. 
Yeah, definitely. One one of my big regrets this year is they've moved uh, the the press area at Meadow Park, so we're not behind the dugouts anymore. And this <laughs> season of all seasons to have done that, um, I feel like I've been robbed of something. Um, just just in in closing, uh, while we're talking about Jonas, like I said, you you came on in the summer and gave us some great insight about Jonas Eideval. So he he's been here well six months now. We're halfway through the season. Um, I realise I'm asking you this on the back of possibly the worst Arsenal performance I've ever seen, so hoping not to <laughs> introduce too much recency bias. But what's your um, what's your impression so far of of Arsenal under Jonas, and have things gone as you thought they might in terms of playing style or things like that, or are there things that have surprised you? No, nothing has surprised me, uh, but I do think, I mean. I don't know where I read this or if I spoke to someone about this, but going into a new league as a coach, uh, every coach has to adapt to a league uh, and a style of play in the league. And and it's not obvious that you know uh, these type of things before you stand by the sideline and see it happens while it happens. So I think what we are seeing now is maybe that's his challenge. Uh, and I do also think, I mean, it's interesting, not just in terms of the WSL, but mm-hmm. you have Arsenal, uh, a team that plays in the Champions League now. And you're going to go into quarterfinal now from a team that absolutely smashed the other top team uh, in the WSL. And I think this is where we're going to see if his coaching abilities is different from hmm. uh, other English coaches. Or if you want to have uh, uh, a result that will show you that he's doing good, I think that this is going to be a massive game um, in terms of that. Because if you don't know your own league, I mean, 100%. Uh, and then you're going to coach your team into the Champions League. I think we're going to, it's going to be interesting to see how he deals with this. Yeah, yeah. And one of the, one of the things that um, really stuck with me from our last conversation on the podcast was um, I kind of asked about, you know, potential weaknesses or drawbacks. And you said that a Rosengord, like, like one of the, the few things you could really pick on was sometimes when they played a team that sat in um they struggled to break teams down, I guess, because of that transitional style of of football. And and I guess we've seen that against Birmingham. Um, Arsenal scraped to draw with Tottenham um, as well, who who played quite similarly. So, I mean, those are two examples. They haven't really struggled in other games, I guess. But um, that that really stuck with me, and I've looked for that. Um, and maybe I've looked for it too much, but I do think that maybe that's been borne out a little bit in some of the performances against against the the kind of teams that really do sit in um so I, I think you're right how how Arsenal adapts to that or how Jonas adapts to that is is going to be really really key and really interesting and we're going to see you know his capacity for growth as a coach um I think definitely I I also think that this is kind of interesting to talk about now six months in because I think this is what I, I'm thinking. He has been very influenced by the English type of football uh, when he when he coached uh, Rosengård because mm. he wanted them to play like Arsenal play now, and that will make a perfect match for most of the time in the WSL. But I mean, we see Chelsea struggle with the same thing, you know, low defense, low block, and then this direct type of football. Uh, won't work and then Hmm. what I mean as a fan when I watched the game I I need to see some key to unlock that um, that challenge a team face when they face that low block and I think that I mean it worries me a little bit that they can't seem to to find a key to that door when you Hmm. choose this uh, tactical uh, approach yeah yeah and I, I guess just as a last question just to bring it back to to Blackstinius I mean one of the, the the things that's really leapt out as well about Arsenal on the owner side of ours he likes to use the wings 
Um, for my money, hasn't quite used the central areas quite as much, and players like Jordan Nobbs and Mane Obuchi, for my money, haven't been used as as well as they should have been because they really fill up those central areas. But a lot of the game is built on getting the ball out wide and getting crosses in. Um, do do you think that Blackstinius would thrive on that kind of service, maybe more than Vivian Miedema does? I mean, I was. <laughs> All of a sudden, I started to think about okay, how many headers does she usually score? <laughs> but that's not that's not. I mean, uh, what I do think she's good at is if she's getting crosses with her back towards the goal, mm-hmm. she is good at turning fast and and like if if the ball comes uh, from high crosses. But crosses in general, nah, I don't think that 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 will bring the best. Uh, out mm. of a player like Blackstenius as well. Um, what I do think is, if you get the ball out on the wing, this is where Manchester United has been very successful Successful uh, their last three games, because they have been using Ella Toon and Staniford as wingers. But since both of them has abilities to play in the number 10 role, they move uh, back in, not just going wide. Because if you're a winger, you will move naturally uh, out wide. Mm. Um, and then you see that these uh, strikers or just the forward players, they're coming up uh, to fill up the spaces with runs. I'm hoping we will see that from Arsenal as well if Stina Blackstenius joins now. Mm. Because um, I think, you know, coming from deep runs and scoring in, in pace, that, that's what she's good at. Yeah, yeah, and that's interesting as well because we know Viv likes to drop deep and she likes to get involved very much in central spaces and particularly on Sunday I watch against Birmingham I watch closely and she it I mean whether it was her fault or someone else's fault I mean it's probably the coach's fault she was kind of getting in people's way quite a lot or other people were getting in her way um because I think she just likes to come back towards the center circle and and I guess it sounds like Blackstinius is maybe more a player who who will link play, but maybe not in that way, maybe more kind of going out to meet the wide players and, and you know, maybe combining with them. Whereas I think Viv likes to combine with the kind of central players a bit more. And, you know, I, I, I think I had the impression before this conversation and I'm even more so now that, that Blackstinia sounds, even if she's not as good as Vivian Miedema, because there aren't many players who are, um, that maybe she's more of a, a Jonas type striker, but... Um, I guess we'll see in the coming weeks and months. But Mia, thanks so much for your insight um, yet again. Just a reminder that um, about the TV4 and Fushball Canal and podcast, which is debuting on Tuesday, the 18th of January. Um, and they will have uh, Freedom Arnhem as a guest eventually, not, not on the first episode. But um, yeah, so you can hear more of Mia there. But um, until the next time, perhaps we sign a Swedish player. Mia, thanks for joining the show again. Thank you very much for having me on. It's always good to be on on some Arsenal talk. And that's all we have time for for this episode. Again, big thank you to Leah Williamson and Mia Eriksson for their time, their energy, their insights in putting this podcast together um, and to both of them for being flexible uh, with their time, with their own personal time. Um, really exciting week, I think, for Arsenal. Um, and we hope that this episode has, has captured some of that. We will be back with another episode, um, before the end of this month, certainly. We will probably do a mailbag episode. Um, as most of you who read the site probably know, I am expecting, um, at least one other arrival in this January transfer window. And the player I'm expecting, Rafael Souza, is a player I happen to know something about from covering the Brazilian national team. So, um, you know, we'll see if and when that is announced and when that's in the bag, then maybe we can talk about that a bit. But we'll put out a mailbag episode for you with one or both of Alex and Pippa involved. But um, until then, thanks for, for downloading the episode, for listening and for, um, I guess, for, for absorbing our coverage. And I just wanted to say um, at the end as well, um, we do have a Patreon. Um, which I'm not sure how many of you know about, uh, particularly those of you who only follow the women's team, uh, probably. Um, And I I guess I just wanted to put it out there that if you feel like the coverage um, of Arsenal women um, is worth, you know, uh, a few quid a month, 
to donate to uh, to help the site uh, then go to patreon.com forward slash askblog and you can sign up there uh, and I just wanted to say the reason we get the level of information that we get the level of access that we get is that when we went part Patreon a couple of years ago Andrew our editor the first thing he did with that money was basically to come to me and say right let's extend the coverage of the women's team so the reason I have you know the time um, and the links to get the kind of information to get the kind of access to speak to players um, is because Andrew made that commitment with the money we get for the site um, and so if if you think you know if if you have the money to spare and you think it's worthwhile then you know maybe check out our patreon for a few quid a month um, absolutely no worries if you can't none of this content will be paywalled ever there is no danger of that you will still get it for free um, we still absolutely love all of the people who click on the coverage and, and read the stuff and interact with the site and listen to the podcasts. That is enough. Uh, so please don't think I'm guilt tripping you or anything like that. But if you've got the money and you think it's worth it, um, then, you know, uh, we won't say no to the money either. But um, enough of that. Thanks so much for listening to this podcast. And we'll be back with another one in a couple of weeks time. When your skin feels nourished and glows, you radiate confidence. Osea makes giving your skin a glow up easy with their clean, clinically proven Mega Moisture Duo. This seaweed-powered duo features two of Osea's best sellers, Andaria Algae Body Oil and Andaria Collagen Body Lotion. Glow from the inside out. Get 10% off your first order with code GLOW at OseaMalibu.com. That's O-S-E-A Malibu.com, code GLOW.